I don't really need this, but it keeps me from falling off the stage, which is very, very useful. Um, I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago in the evening service about a trip that I did down into the south of Ethiopia. and I was gone for about six weeks all up, and uh, there, there weren't too many showers. And one of the stories I want to tell you this morning is what happened on one of those times. I probably hadn't had a shower again for about four or five days because there was just no place to, to have a place. We, we arrived in this, this little village, really, late at night. It was somewhere way down in the south, out in the blocks, and I, I was having a hard time staying in the car with me. I, I'd been there for a while. So I said to them, I said, is there anywhere I can have a shower? And they said, yeah, sure there is. Just, just down in that little hut. It was dark. I didn't know what was down in the little hut. But they said, if you go down in there, there is a tap. You can have a shower and you can take as long as you want. It was a bit chilly, so it was probably about 15, 14 degrees. But I figured, why not? No hot water, but I thought, I'm going to have this shower. So I went down in there and I turned the little light on in there because I had a little torch to go with me and as I looked out it was just all black. I could just see the black of the, the walls of the hut and I thought, this is fantastic. Alone, I can have my shower. Now, no apologies, but I got undressed and I'm having my shower and I hear these giggles. <laughs> and I look around and I can't see anyone. I'm inside this hut. I keep having a shower, and I'm freezing cold. I'm a blue, blue person washing myself, and there's more giggles going on. So I get down a little bit. The hut is made out of slats of wood that are about that far apart, and every single kid in the whole village was standing around the outside of the hut watching me have a shower. I figured, why not? I went had my shower, but the next day as I got up to go and have a cup of tea, there were about 200 people coming to watch me go and have a cup of tea, most of them kids, but some of the teenagers as well. I figured they'd had a good look at me anyway, so I might as well enjoy having them around, but it came home to me at that stage because they, they mentioned that I was probably one of the only white guys that had been down into this area for years, and these kids had never seen someone like me how I kind of stuck out a little bit. I was different. I didn't really fit in. And most of the time, it didn't bother me. And it didn't bother me then. It bothered me when I was having a shower because I'm sure they didn't go and watch everybody have a shower. But I realised that I was odd. And one of the things that's interesting being overseas as a missionary is you realise when you don't fit in. Another time that came back to me was um, in the Sudan having a shave down at the Hilton. And as I'm having the shave, the Arab guy who is shaving me says, you know, I hate Americans. <laughs> this is when he got with a straight razor to about here. And I said, I'm an Australian. We hate Americans too. <laughs> Which is not true. Not true. But I figured it was the safest thing to say at the time. You see, we all in one sense, are alone in this world. And yet, in another sense, we, we seek to belong. We seek to be a part of something. It's something that, in, in many ways, gives us identity. It tells us who we are. 
And whilst it's good to be different and to stand out a little bit because that gives us an individuality and we can feel comfortable with that, we want to belong. We want to be a part of something. This is why family is so important. We want to be a part of a family. Nationalism is important. Tribes are important. Clans are important because you say, this is my group of people. Now the Apostle Peter, when he's writing, he's writing to a group of people who in many ways, he actually calls them aliens, he calls them strangers. One of the things that happened is as these people became Christians, they found that a lot of those connections that they had with the people around them were being broken down. Because the things that they would used to have to do to belong they could either no longer do, they couldn't participate in the family worship of gods and ancestors, they couldn't help their masters if they were slaves to do things. They, even if they were a master, if their people under them didn't follow Jesus, they were looked on and they were distanced from the people around them. And that brought oppression upon them. And Peter, in First Peter, writes to in some ways talk to the people about that situation that's happening. How they deal with that, the fact that they are separate and separated from the people around them. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is one of the places where Peter says, yes, you're different, and yes, you've been separated out, but God has formed you now into a community. And he says to the people, This is actually supposed to be the place where you belong. God has put you into this place, this group of people. This gives you now your identity. We're looking at C, which is community. We as a church want to be a community. It ties together really well. That we as we come together here become a community put together by God for a particular purpose and that's what we want to look at this morning because this is where God calls us to have belonging, to have identity. It doesn't mean that all the other places which we belong, our family, our nation, all those things cease to exist. We don't cut all ties. But what Peter is going to suggest and to say is that our union with Christ forms his body, the church, and that community is supposed to identify and define us, supposed to say who we are as people, that our relationship with him is what counts. He talks about who this group of people are who come into the community, into the church, and just briefly to look at that. He says that how can you tell, if you like, those people who are a part of this community? Or he's talking to people who feel alienated from those around them. He says, you now have an identity, and he tells them why they have that identity. He basically says, you have that identity because of how you have treated and dealt with Jesus Christ. He talks about Jesus as being the chief, the perfect cornerstone, the capstone, however you read that word. It basically is the most important stone in a building. It sets the angles, it sets the tone. It is the foundation for everything. It tops everything off. And he says, Jesus is that. 
And how we respond to Christ determines whether we are a part of his community being built in to his house, his nation, or whether we're out of it. And it's a fairly strong dividing line. As I went into that village, the defining feature wasn't my height. There were people as tall as me. It wasn't my gender. There were other blokes around. It wasn't my size. There were some rich people there who ate a lot like I did. It was this. This defined me. My colour. That's what everyone came to have a look at. Me as the blue man. You know, That's what they wanted to have a look at. See if it rubbed off or not. And Peter says the distinctive part that says whether someone's in the community of Christ or outside of the community is not the colour of their skin, it's not their gender, it's not their economic status, it's not their intelligence, it's not their giftedness, it's how they respond to Jesus Christ. He says, those who come to Jesus Christ recognize who he is as the foundation of their life. He's the one in whom they put their trust to redeem them, to save them. They want to be his. They accept all the love that he lavishes upon them and they become his. Other people go and hear the story of Jesus Christ and it basically says it's a stumbling block to them. If you like... Jesus was crucified. He was shamed. He was put aside. For those who are Christians who accept that, that he, Jesus did that on their behalf, they say, we worship you. Other people come and they see a guy who's been beaten and crucified, humiliated and shunned, and they say, you can't worship someone like that. You can't put your faith in someone like that. And Jesus becomes a stumbling block for them and all that, that is tied up with becoming a follower of Christ, they say, I don't want that. And so the distinction becomes those who are in Christ, connected with Christ, as we looked at last week, connected to the vine, part of the body, is because they have known who Christ is and accept that. And the others are out of the community. Not that they're not loved, amazingly loved by God, but their stance, their rejection of Christ is a stumbling block, which means that they can't be used in the family. We're going to come back to those who are outside of the community towards the end of of the sermon this morning. But most of what we want to look at this morning is those who are in the community, most of us here, people who have come to Jesus Christ, recognised who he is, accepted what he's done for us and said, yes, we want to worship you, we want to honour you, we want you to be our king, we thank you so much for saving us. And we become a part of the community. Now Peter has a couple of things to say just to give identity to what is special, if you like, about this group of people who come together in community. One of the things that he says, and one of the things that comes through at least the first six or seven verses of what we read this morning, is that 
those people can recognise that a part of their identity is that they're chosen by God. God wants them. The word stronger, it's even God has picked them, he's called them, he's brought them to himself. He says, you weren't a people and now you are a people. You didn't have mercy, now you have had mercy. Peter says, you're a chosen people. Part of the identity of being in that community is this is who God wants there. We come together as a church in community and part of our vision is that we want us as a community to recognise that, to not only understand it but to live it out. And part of that living it out is to recognise that God's brought us together. God has called us from all different aspects of life and brought us into this place for a purpose and we'll look at that in a minute. But God has chosen you. God has chosen me. But in the sense of which Peter's talking about it because it's giving an identity, a community, God has chosen us. And that, that gives a great amount of satisfaction to our identity that we know that we're here because God chose us. One of the other phrases that it uses, in the NIV it says you are God's special possession. It's, it's a similar word translated in Septuagint to back in Second Chronicles when David is talking about the temple that he built. Well, he's not going to build it because he was, God told him not to, to leave it to Solomon. And before he dies as an old man, he says... I, as king, have put aside money for the building of the temple which Solomon's going to build. And then he says, not only have I sort of done my civic duty as the ruler and put aside money for the worship of God from everything that's a part of the national treasure, he said, but out of my personal treasure, out of that which is mine, I am going to give to God my special treasure, my personal treasure, my very own. It's that idea that comes out in what Peter's writing. He's saying, of these people who are part of a community, to know your identity is not only have you been chosen by God, but that to him you are a precious possession. God esteems you. That as you have come to him, in response to his love to you and his working in your heart, know that not only are you loved but you're treasured. He said, that's who you are. Individually, yes, but corporately, as a group of people who love God, who worship God, who meet together as a community, you are his treasured possession. I don't have very many treasured possessions, but those that I have, you hold dear to you. You keep them close. My favourite was my teddy bear, given to me when I was born. I still had it on my bed when I was 19. I got married. I kept it on my bed. Wife, me, teddy bear. 
men, men get very hot at night, so we don't normally snuggle all night long, especially if you're living in a hot climate. But my teddy bear, it, it didn't mind. I could hold that thing. And I was in my early 20s, loving my bed. This sounds really dumb, doesn't it? But it's true. Get home from school one day where I was working, and Sylvia kind of looks at me. She said, um, there's a problem. I said, well, what's the issue? She said, you know your bear? I said, yeah, I love my bear. What about my bear? She said, well, I didn't know the last time it had been washed. So I washed it. I said, hand washed it. I kind of put it in the rotary thing, not one of the front loaders, but the top loaders. And I said, yeah, where's my bed? She said, in, in that bucket. <laughs> and there it was in the bucket in, in a million pieces. I thought I reacted really well. I keep bringing it up, of course, but I reacted really well. Love you, hun. My treasured possession. And believe it or not, over that, I felt sorrow and sadness over a bunch of fluff. That's all it was, a bunch of fluff. That was all it was, like very wet fluff. All right? Your treasured possession. Now, we're not like a teddy bear to God, but he holds us into that very close embrace and he says, you're mine. We have an identity as a community chosen by God from the world because of our response to Jesus Christ and because he calls us and wants us to be his own. We were not a people and now we become a people. It says we're a nation to God. We have an identity. Chosen and treasured, this is who we are as a group of people, not just individuals, but as a community. For what purpose is this community? Back in verse 5 it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And this morning as a community, as this nation of God and what is our purpose and what is going to draw us together, the one thing I want to look at is what does it mean to be a priesthood? Baptist thinking, in fact, since the Reformation, there has been this idea of the priesthood of all believers. And even since I've been here, I've heard the the term given at various times to explain a particular action or a particular way that we do stuff. Now, this is one of the places where this idea comes out. It comes out to other parts of the scripture. But basically, what Peter says is that we are a nation serving the king but our, our function, if you like, in terms of being built together as a temple is to work as his priests. All of us, every single member of this community 
is a priest. Now, often when the phrase the priest of all believers is used, it's become probably over the last 150, 200 years to be used in a sense a little bit different than what it was used on in the Reformation. Possibly, particularly in, in Baptist circles and a few others, it's come to have a very singular and, and, and tiny meaning, which is not untrue, which is that every single individual has access to God. That we don't need to go through anyone else who's human to have access to God. We can come into his presence. We can read the scriptures. We don't need anyone to explain it to us. The Holy Spirit working in our hearts guides us into all truth so that we can operate and respond to God without, if you like, someone else having to come between us and Christ. The only mediator we need between us and God is Christ Jesus. And often it seems to be seen in, in that sense and therefore we have congregational government. So we have the idea that every person who is in that state who can talk with God themselves, they don't need to go through a priest, they don't need to go through a pastor, even a senior one, they don't need... They, they can read the scriptures for themselves, they can therefore understand God's will and guidance and that's why we have congregational government. So as we come together in, as members together, each of us has an opportunity to put forward the direction that we believe God is leading us and then as a group and a community together, we vote, we choose, we decide. And it in many ways comes from this idea that each of us has this individual ability to communicate and to be guided by God. And that's a great thing. So just a short little plug here, members meeting. 17th of July. It's... I don't like members meetings, no offence. They're not always the most exciting time in the buzz of my life. But it's an opportunity as a group of people together, as a community, in many ways, to exercise a part of this role that we have as being a part of the community. It's a part of our identity. If we're a part here of the church, then we actually are saying as priests together, each of us has access to God and therefore we are to be involved together to say what is God leading us in as a group of people. So if you remember... There's 300 of us. Part of your responsibilities of being a part of this community is to come together to decide, to seek direction, to say, this is what I think God's saying in this area. Which means we'll put all the chairs out at the next members' meeting instead of one little row. It's part of our responsibility. It comes from this. If you're a community you all are priests and that's, that's often the way that we see it and it's not untrue. But the Reformation actually had a, a broader understanding, if you like, of the priesthood of all believers. Um, so, for example, 
one of the, the people who writes on, on Luther and Luther's theology in terms of how Luther was responding to the church in the Reformation, which was in many ways against this idea that you had one person who stood be- between you and God besides Christ Jesus. And he said, this person writes, Luther never understands the priesthood of all believers merely in the sense of the Christian's freedom to stand in a direct relationship to God without a human mediator. Rather, he constantly emphasizes the Christian's evangelical authority to come before God on behalf of the brothers and sisters and also of the world. The universal priesthood expresses not religious individualism, but its exact opposite, the reality of the congregation as a community. What that basically means is that if we come together as priests, Being a priest doesn't mean that we replace the person who previously was thought between us and God, but it says you are the one who has access to God in terms of mediating. You, through Christ Jesus, can talk with God on behalf of others. And you can talk to others on behalf of God. If we're going to look at what it means to be a community, and in particular we're going to say what it means to be a community that encourages one another, this passage and this whole idea of us being priests before God says we have as a community a responsibility as priests not only to talk and commune with God because we have access to him because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, but we then have a responsibility out to share what God says with others. Now, that means we have a relationship to pray for other people in the community and in the outside world. But part of it means that we bring each other before the Lord. It means we share what God has to say with each other that being priests together before God binds us together as a community. Now, this passage has a number of particular things that it particularly wants us to remember. One of them is that part of being a holy priesthood is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And later on it says, our praise. One of the things that sometimes concerns me in churches is that people rock up for the sermon. That doesn't concern me. It's really great when people rock up for the sermon. But part of our responsibility as a community of people who worship God as priests is to come to offer praise to him. That was one of the responsibilities that the priest did. It wasn't, and this is where the Reformation, I suppose, comes in, it wasn't one dude up the front here waving a little smoke around and doing the bells and whistles who was offering the praise on behalf of everybody else. We offer praise to God. We're priests. We all have the responsibility to come and to praise his name. So we join together at whatever time we we meet at the different services, 8.30, 10.30, and we come with the purpose of praising God. That singing time before the sermon is not an add-on to make sure everyone's got time to get here. That's a fundamental part of why we meet. In fact, really, we come so that we can praise God. This teaching, which is also worship of God, is no more important 
than that corporate joining together. So let me again encourage you. As priests before God, it's really good to be here to praise God together, to sing. That's what we got to when we, we were getting about being active. We join together in active worship. Together, as a community. Why? Not just because we love God as an individual, but because we as a community want to praise his name. We want to tell each other how great God is. Before him, with our brothers and sisters, we want to say how wonderful you are, Lord. That's what we want to do. And so if we're not here to do that, then we, I suppose, I'm saying, we're not taking our priesthood very seriously because that's what we're supposed to be doing, to offer praise. And then as a community, if we're going to go to those who are outside the community, priests are also supposed to declare the praises of God to the world. It goes on a little bit later on to say that. Shared God with everybody around you. That's what priests do. Paul talks about it in a different sense. He talks about the fact that we encourage and equip one another and that we offer praise to God and we go out and we share the gospel. Peter says, this is a part of your responsibility as a community of priests to go and to share the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And how does he say to do that? This is kind of a byproduct. But he says you go and you do that by living lives before them that show your distinctiveness, if you like. You show your love towards them. You show that one of the distinctive characteristics of someone who's a worshipper of God is evidencing the love that he's shown for you for each other within your family and for the world around about them. He says you go and show the world that you're different, that you have an identity, by love. Love one another. Go and meet their needs. Go and look after the poor. Go and chat with people. Little story. I love stories. And I've got time. Just. I was at uh, Nando's. This is not a plug for Nando's, but it's really nice chicken and only 500 calories for half a chook, which is great. So I rock up at uh, my local Nando's and I say, I want this much chicken. And I said, he did it, but it's kind of blank around the place. And um, I said, so how are you? And he just does a double take. He says, what do you mean? I said, how are you? I'm I'm interested. How are you going? How's your day been? He says, you're serious? I said, yeah, yeah, I really want to know. He says, I've had a terrible day. He says, I'm feeling really bad about myself. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and things aren't going well. I'm 27. <laughs> he talks for about five minutes. And I'm, I'm listening to him. I'm really interested. This is, this is fine. I said, oh, I'm really, I'm really sorry about that. Is, is there anything I can do? He says, no, you've done it. I said, what's that? He said, you're interested. He said, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. He said, it's almost as if God's talking to me. I said, you're a believer. He says, no. No, I'm not a believer. That's just a turn of phrase. <laughs> I said, it's funny because, you know, I am. I do love God. And we had a little bit of a chat about that. But basically, it was just showing an interest in this guy and him saying, I feel loved. I feel 
that that's different. And I feel that that's something that God's like. And he wanted to, to talk about that. I, I wasn't going to start a huge con- conversation into his need for God and his lack of um, his rebellion against God, etc., etc. Just showing love, declaring the praise, saying, this is who I am as a follower of God. This is who we are as a follower. Jesus says it. He says, people will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. So as priests, we offer praise to God together. Luther and Calvin and the others go on to sort of suggest that this is the relationship we have to have with one another. I'm not finished on this because it's our community aspect. We are brothers and sisters together. But more than that, we're priests together before God. Which means sometimes we sit and we listen and we hear where someone's at and we bring their request to God on their behalf. We act in that mediatorial role because they feel they want someone to be with them. Sometimes we even hear them tell us the things they've done they shouldn't have done. They can say it directly to God, that's the individual, but sometimes we listen to them and we affirm for them what God has done in their life. We say, you know from Scripture that if you've confessed your sin to him that you're forgiven, don't you? We can express God's word to them. This is who we are together. We're not built into a spiritual house as a stone on our own. Oh, the stones have gone. There are some stones down the back there. A stone on its own isn't much good as a house. But all together we can bring the praise and we work together to praise God. We are supposed to be in community. I know there's about 300 people in this room. Most of us probably only know about 30 of them. Get to know each other. When we get on to what it means to be a community of encouragement, we're going to say part of what we need to be as a community is a place where people can feel safe, they can feel accepted, where people get to know them as a person, where there's this whole understanding that we together have identity and community. That's my encouragement for you this morning. You're loved by God, chosen by him, are his treasured possession. That's who you are because of your response to Christ Jesus. But he has set you apart to be his priests, to worship him, to have communion with him, but to work and to share with one another, to encourage one another to love one another, to be between at times if necessary each other and God to bring prayers and to bring words of encouragement and then to take those praises out to the world. Let's pray.